Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. Capella University's game-changing FlexPath format helps you learn at your own pace and fit earning a degree into your life. From before you enroll to after you graduate, you'll be supported by people who are invested in your success so you can pursue your goals knowing that help is available if you need it. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show. Today on the James Altucher Show. Anxiety is what? Projections of a future that may or may not happen, that we don't want to happen, that results in anxiety. That's the mind, you know? So I Right, think it's just a guess. It's just a guess. I mean, like, fear is just faith in a shitty future, <laughs> you know? You know, or... I mean, think about it, right? But like, if we're afraid of something, we actually have faith that something shitty is going to happen if we do X or Y, you know? I want to write that one down (laughs) and I'm going to take total credit for it. I'm not going to credit you at all. If people listen to this podcast, they'll know the truth. But wait, fear is faith faith in a shitty future. I like that. Um, But for someone listening at home who's not going to go to Nepal, how can someone listening at home get their own sense of isolation and let's say, mindful nourishment uh, without having to go to Nepal. So Kamal Ravikant, a a favorite of the podcast. Kamal, uh, you have so many things going on. I don't even know where to start, but uh, obviously best-selling author, Love Yourself from day one was one of my favorite books. I wrote about it the day it came out in 2012, right? Yeah, you made that book happen, actually. Well, I think you made that book happen. I am not taking an ounce of credit for it, but but then you uh, wrote Rebirth, an excellent novel. We talked about that on this podcast. Uh, we went in-depth. And now you're working on, and also you're a successful venture capitalist, I know, because I'm invested in your venture capital you funds. You were part of it since the beginning, an advisor to it, so you helped make that happen too. I, I appreciate it. And uh, But now you're on an, a, a, a brave and new adventure. What, <laughs> why don't you tell us about it? So I'm going off to Nepal, uh, and I'm going to go in the middle of nowhere in the mountains in a Buddhist village and study with uh, this sect of Tibetan Buddhism. These They call the bonds, and there's this... Uh, these mystic monks and uh there's this like there's this Howard professor named dan brown who's been like working with uh, tibetan buddhists for like 50 years he's supposed to be like the expert and i've heard about him over the years as an amazing guy in this space and he works with the nature of the mind and you know incorporating eastern philosophy and and practice into into therapy and um so so just just that that reminds me of um first off robert thurman here at Columbia has written a bunch of texts about Tibetan Buddhism, its relationship to psychology. Then there's the guy, uh, Mark, uh, also works, I think he works at NYU, but is also a therapist, writes a ton of books about uh, uh, Buddhism in general. I don't know if he ties it specifically to Tibetan Buddhism, but there is this kind of historical linking between uh, Buddhism and this aspect of, you know, letting go of the of the things you can't control and not not trying to be happy every moment be able to ride through the suffering in certain situations there's this link linkage between you know many people think of the of many many people think 
Buddhism is is an atheistic religion. Actually, Buddha never talks about a god, and uh, a lot of people say there's huge contributions of Buddhism to psychology. Yeah, and actually, what's interesting here is so you know Dan Brown's getting older, and a friend of mine who works with him, he put together put together a company. What was it called? Like Mind Only, and they actually do some of that training online. And they put together this trip to raise money for the Bon uh, mystics because their monasteries were destroyed. And so they're having like the top people come down and train like a very select group that Dan's bringing in because he's part of their part of that group. And they're, it's all about focus on the nature of the mind. So it's not even necessarily meditation that make you do it. And I don't know too much about it. And I'm kind of happy with that on purpose. You know, the people who are running are people I trust. So I'm just showing up and I'm going to get a landing cap on and on the 19th stay there for a day, then they're going to put us in these helicopters and fly us in the middle of nowhere. And then these, some of these monks live in caves and whatever, and they're just going to come down and then just teach us for a week and a half. And so are these monks that they fled Tibet uh, when China took over in the, I guess, 50s? I'm assuming if they live in Nepal, then they fled Tibet. Uh-huh. You know, that was the case. They went to Nepal or India. And what's what's the relationship between... So there's like four different sects within Tibetan Buddhism. What's the connection between these guys and... Uh, let's say the Dalai Lama. These are the hardcore mystics, like the fr- on the fringes, which is actually what, like what I find makes it. them mystical. Like what's what do they? What's like a philosophy that they adhere to that maybe the Dalai Lama doesn't as much? Well, their whole thing is actually uh, achieving states of enlightenment right away, like in a week, like doing hardcore stuff. Now, first of all, I, don't well, want I like to get, that approach better. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> it's the modern version, mm-hmm. right? And honestly, I don't want to be enlightened. I kind of like my hu- this this clunky human self I got for a little while. Uh, but one thing they also work on is actually just using the nature of the mind to develop positive and live in positive states of consciousness. So their thing is, from what I've been hearing, is that it's not even like trying to overcome the, uh, the darkness or being present. It's just cultivating positive states, feeling positive states. So it's really interesting. Well, okay, so let me ask you a question. A couple of questions. One is... There, you said some of them live in a cave, and I have total respect for that. It's almost like the dream to 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 want to be the type of person who likes that. I will never be the type of person who likes that, but I really appreciate someone who does. But maybe they live in a cave because they require no distractions. It might, it might be the easy. It's the work is living life, right? So, like when you come back from yeah. that, do you think you'll be able to hold over some? Of I the- have no idea what I'm going into. But I know the people, honestly, this is the, and honestly, I don't know if I would have signed up for it because like they're raising a lot of money for charities, a very specific group. Some people are really well known. They have some like big wig from the Vatican going to study with these guys. It's it's kind of like an interesting eclectic group. And it was like, huh, you know, like I'm expanding Love Yourself right now. And Love Yourself was just my, how I stumbled on just like working in one state of mind to get over everything else that I was suffering from. And then here these guys are supposedly been for, um, these guys come from, I think, some Stan country that they moved to Tibet like 18,000 years ago. They've been doing this for that long, if not longer, that I've been kind of working on this. I was like, I'm curious. Let me go see what I can learn from them. Worst case, I come back with a great altitude sickness and diarrhea story. <laughs> well, well, you know, or really the worst is that you learn something and meet a group of people that you never would have otherwise met. And, yeah. and you'll probably have your own, because you're on this journey, You'll probably have your own sense of, uh, you know, just, I think there's something else here, which is that you feel this need to disconnect right now from 
everything going on. You have a lot of stuff going on. You're VC, you work on lots of different projects. You I write a uh, great crypto newsletter. You write a for crypto you. newsletter. Yeah. You, 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 you're always helpful and generous to all the businesses you invest in or involved in. You're much more, you might deny this, but you're, you're, I would say you're an extrovert. Like every night you're going out, you're, you're networking, you're going out, meeting people, making connections, learning things. You, you go to conferences and t actually talk to people. <laughs> like I would never be able to do any of that. But maybe, because you just also, I know you're working on your expanded version of Love Yourself. You just got back from Italy where you basically lived like a monk for a couple of weeks while you were writing. Now, just a few weeks later, you're going to even a more desolate, yeah. isolated place. What do you think, other than, you know, things like you can label it writing, you can label it meditation or, or mysticism or enlightenment. What do you think you're, do you think you're actually... Like, do you feel a sense of relief when you picture yourself in these places? I do, actually. That's a great point. So it's not really then, it's not like you're picturing yourself writing and you feel the relief. You just picture yourself being by yourself with the <laughs> relief. So what do you think, what do you think is actually happening here? You know, it's actually, I was thinking about that the other day about when I look back at life, what are the things that stand out? It's these experiences I go and have, that I've gone and have. The rest is all just jumbled into one big mush. You know, and it, even in people we love, there are experiences and specific memories that that really stand out. And experiences like this, completely getting away from the norm, like like I'll be in the middle of nowhere in Nepal. I have to be a vegetarian for two weeks, which alone for me. <laughs> yeah. And and you know, but experiences that pull you out of yourself, and you're around people with who are literally you might as well met them on Mars. You know, so different from you, and yet being in that space and being in this massive nature, I'll be in the rooftop of the world. It kind of like. I think it settles something primal inside of us, at least for me, and it like makes me. I think it makes me better. Like my best writing comes when I'm in those kind of places. Sure, because there's no. I mean, you figure writing is a very solitary task. Just to just to get in the flow of good writing might take four, five, six hours of uninterrupted time to be able to sit down and put words together, and that's what you get in these places. But again, when you actually picture yourself, like when you're going to Nepal, like a week, two weeks, mm -hmm. when you actually picture yourself there, what do you, what's the first image that comes to mind? The mountains. Right. So you picture yourself standing by yourself or sitting by yourself looking yes. at, like you, like you just referred to it, the rooftop of the world. Yeah. You don't picture yourself getting like, you know, you know, talking deep esoteric mysticism with a monk. You don't picture yourself with a laptop, like writing down words. You kind of picture yourself uh, on the rooftop of the world. And when you look at your books, okay, again, you just got back from uh, a sort of monastery-like situation in Italy where how many people did you talk to during those the week or two you were there? Very few. So, and then you look at your books. Rebirth is about you're, you're traveling the, you know, what do you call it? The path of... The Camino de Santiago. Yeah, so you're, you're traveling that, which is a very, even though there's people on that trail and it takes days or weeks to go through, it's a very solitary experience. You have to do it by yourself. Sometimes you run into people, sometimes you see them later, sometimes you never see them again, but it's all, everyone's taking their own journey, even though you see each other. And even in your first book, Love Yourself, it, it was really about this time where you were forced into isolation and had to learn something about yourself. And I'm wondering what you get. And I, and I think everybody benefits for, to some degree from nature and isolation, but what do you think what do you think are the benefits? What do you think you actually 
get from it? Boy, that's a great point and great questions. Um, I think you definitely get uh, insight into yourself that you carry with you, you know. That you can't get in the city. No, because there's enough. There's so much noise. There's so much, especially modern day. You know, no matter what I'm doing, if I'm free, I'm I'm on my phone. I mean, you almost need to be unplugged completely for days for like these backup systems in our brain to come online or at least come awake that we can actually things. You know, you just start having thoughts and feelings and emotions and. You know, I can see what's great for my creativity that just stay in the background because of all the buzz around. Um, I always come back better. I always come back from these things. You know, sometimes I've caught bugs here and there, but like I always come back, I always come back better. In what way? Um, knowing myself better. I like come what back. Do you, what, what do you mean? Uh, like, for example, when I did the Camino Santiago, it was a whole different, like, it was whole lots of insight, but that was also because of the com- people I met along the way and conversations, but the conversations then time to walk along and reflect and then conversations time to walk along and reflect. I don't think we get much reflection time in our modern world. So, so, so that's interesting because again, like I, ref- I, uh, I said you would like this isolation, but I also accused you of being an extrovert. <laughs> it's like almost like you need a, a, a safe way. You, you have found the right formula of, of combining the two to get this, this, outcome of self-reflection but not completely isolate yourself because you like people you like meeting you mm-hmm. when you go on that the trail in in spain it's almost it, you're self-selecting to be around people who are also on a similar journey and uh you, you know here in this case you're you're not just you could also just go to the middle of kentucky and check into a motel and be isolated for three weeks instead you're going to nowhere in nepal to meet with mystics who live in caves you're selecting, you want to experience a new sort of person who, you know, thinks isolation or, or believes or experiences isolation as uh, enlightenment or self-knowledge. So you're selecting to be around those people at the same time that you're selecting to be isolated. It's always, it's hand in hand for you. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. There is one thing that excites me about this trip, which is actually that these are people who are literally professionals at 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 on the mind that's since they're kids they're brought up and they have a lineage for i don't know tens of thousand years they've been passing along just training the mind i want to learn like if there's people i want to learn from it's this because ultimately it all comes down to the mind are there any books about them or anything is there anything Um, i can read uh dan brown has translated some of their ancient texts you know but they're they're the actual text himself and i think he's got some other books out and he does some uh some programs that I've I've been hearing about this guy for years. I was like one of the only ones who's really legit, and really and you know really become a part of the like whatever the inner circle is. So he has access to a lot of the old teachings. So 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 again like. Why, why now? Like, uh, and you could say, well, this was when the group was going, but there's always situations. There's always groups. There's always things happening in different parts of the world that you would probably find just as fascinating. Why now? Again, you just got back from Italy. You're going to live with monks for how long are you going to be there? A little over two and a half weeks. So two and a half weeks, uh, you're going to be living in the middle of nowhere with these monks who are very focused on mysticism and their uh beliefs uh, uh which which again sounds great but it's not it's not a vacation like 
why now do you think you're you're looking to do this? Why not three years ago? Why not two years ago? That's a great question. You know, I had a bit of an insight earlier this year, and I asked myself, what do I make money for? What am I saving it for? And because I have a hard time spending money on myself. I, I have no problem qualms spending money on people or, you know, I take great care of people, but like on myself, I was like, what am I doing it for? And so like when things have started coming up that normally I'd be like, oh, that's kind of expensive price tag. I'm like, well, it's just sitting in my bank. You know, what's it there for? So I've just started saying more to these and yes to these things that I probably would have said no to because of the cost, interesting enough. That's been an interesting shift in me just in the last few months. And so what does that make you do? Is it, do you feel more comfortable buying things that are for you? Um, or like having an experience like this, because mm -hmm. this is also a fundraiser uh, for their monastery. So, you know, they're raising, they're asking like a pretty sizable donation and the trip itself is not cheap. And, and so normally I would have just passed on that, but now I was like, look, that's money sitting in my bank and it's purely for my growth. Well, and I think, I think also experience, you know, every, there's always this debate experience for, do you buy experience? Should you use money to buy experiences versus material possessions? And it's almost cliche to say now, but I'm very much in favor of experiences. I mean, I went through a period where I threw out all of my belongings uh -huh. and, was, I remember. and I wasn't even renting any apartments. I was just living in Airbnb. So I had no possessions and my thinking always has been, uh, experiences are more valuable because a, there's the whole period before where you anticipate and research, then there's the experience itself. And then there's the memories afterwards, where if all you do is, I don't know, use your money to buy a fancy car, uh, you drive the car for a day and then you're already tired of it or you're used to it or whatever. It's not like you wasted your money, but it doesn't seem to have the same emotional impact. Now, I, I don't say that's always the case. There's certainly like, since I've now moved into an apartment, I've been buying books and I really enjoy having actual books instead of just reading on my Kindle. But, uh, I think in general experiences are a lot more valuable than material possessions. So as, as a kind of a first step towards spending your money, experiences do seem like the way to go. Yeah, I absolutely agree with you. And so that's been one shift that's actually causing me to take these trips. And also I used to love to travel. I don't know why. When I was building companies, I kind of stopped. And then after that, I only do when I feel like I can justify my in my mind if the cost is worth it or whatever. And I don't know. Lately, I'm just starting to... Anything that comes across just makes me go, huh, that would be interesting. Something in me goes... I've started saying yes more and more. But also, you, you link this to psychology. Yeah. And it was important for you to link this to psychology. To my psychology. Right. So do you think there's something wrong that you want to solve? Yeah, it's called the human mind. <laughs> it's called my human mind. It's not that it's wrong, but it's a, you know, it can... Like, are you, I, is your human mind too anxious right now? Are you... No, no, hmm. it's, but it's the human mind. I'm, I walk around dealing with it all day. And, and like, I've, you know, I've done things that have made it better, like the love yourself practice, which made it a lot better, meditation and so forth. But it's still the human mind, which is still a bit of a monk, you know, a monkey that can launch, you know, nuclear missiles, you know, that can, that I just want to make, to whatever I can do to make myself better. And like, you know I mean? Like how much I care about fitness and diet and so forth. But I think the mind is the ultimate thing to always work to make better. Well, what can, like someone listening to this, well, for, first off, this is a part one. There's going to be a part two where after you come back, I'm really eager to hear what you will have learned from these people. I have never heard of them. I've read all about Tibetan Buddhism and other types of Buddhism. I've never heard of these guys. So I'm extremely curious what your experience will be like. Um, but for someone listening at home who's not going to go to 
Nepal. And again, they'll have the benefit too of listening to you say uh, in part two of this what um, your experience was. But um, what can, how can someone listening at home take advantage of or, or get their own sense of isolation and let's say mindful nourishment uh, without having to go to Nepal? Look, one of the things I do is, uh, you know, we all have our own thing. One of the things I do is my gym time. That's like, my, you know, like, you know, put on a particular playlist and you just kind of disappear and it's just you and the weights or you and the whatever you're doing. Uh, it's, it's, it's basically getting ourselves out of a regular thing. You know, meditation is not a thing, but it scares a lot of people. And, you know, it scares me. You know, I meditate for like seven minutes a day, which people say you should do for hours. Well, that's, I got my own thing for seven minutes. That's enough. Yeah, when people say should about meditation, yeah. it kind of <laughs> tells me. You know, that's a great yeah. point. Because all meditation is just like being, you know? In fact, I think ultimately my goal with meditation would be to make my life a meditation that I'm just being. I'm not living in the past, not living. Anxiety is what? Projections of of of, uh, of a future that may or may not happen that we don't want to happen that results in anxiety. That's the mind, you know? So I right, think- Right, it's just a guess. It's just again, I, I mean, like the best case. fear is just faith in a shitty future, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, or I mean, think about it, right? But like, if we're afraid of something, we actually have faith that something shitty is going to happen if you do X or Y, you uh, know? I want to write that one down <laughs> and I'm going to take total credit for it. I'm not going to credit you at all. If people That's listen fun. to this podcast, they'll know the truth. But wait, fear is faith, is faith in a shitty future. Right? Sure. I like that. I mean, like some people are so, I mean, if you think about it, our fears are so convincing that all that means is that's faith. And that's faith in a projection that may never happen, you right. know, but we can actually live our, you know, it's like, uh, man, imagine if someone could just what, like see what's happening in our mind all the time. It's a shit show. Mind's a shit show a half time than not, you know? And it's like, I'm so. I so think you're curious. What, yeah. I want to just, whatever I can to make this thing better to make my, because if you make the mind better, I think the whole thing gets, everything gets better. That's one thing I've learned. So how can people do this? You see the meditation or it's like losing your, it's losing yourself in something, you know, whatever the, your thing is like for writing. I do that when I'm writing, I'm deep. You would know this. I disappear for me. Writing is the ultimate meditation. It's the ultimate, you know, act of enlightenment when I'm gone and whatever's coming through is not, it's, I don't know where that came from. Right. Everybody's got their thing. That's you know, all it is. You know what I like to do living in a city and, and, you know, yes, you can't get rid of, you, you can, it's not worth complaining about. There's just distractions. There's distractions, there's noises, there's smells, there's your own personal life, kind of always, you know, business life, whatever, always invading on the phone. When you're in the city, people think you're open for business automatically just by virtue of being in New York City or, or any city. But I like to, um, in New York, look at the rooftops. So huh. when you're walking around, I always feel like the owner of a building tells the architect, hey, I need 15 floors. Do whatever you want with the roof. I just need 15 floors to move people in. And then the architects get to play on the, the final floor and the roof. And it's always really, it's surprisingly uh, pretty and gothic and yeah, baroque. Right. And, and there's, there's all sorts of like, you know, what do they, what do they call those things? Like the, the gargoyles? Yeah, gargoyles. Yeah, they have gargoyles so, all over New York City. Yeah, all over. People just don't look at it because they're always like thinking, looking down to the ground, thinking, oh, I got to get to this meeting. Like, what am I going to say? And and so I find that to be a useful uh, midday, uh, I don't even want to call it a meditation, but a midday break from the city to just notice, 
to just notice things in a place where you've walked a thousand times and, oh, I didn't realize that roof looked like that. That's a work of art. Yeah. So, but anyway, Kamal Ravikant going to live with the most obscure mystical monks on the planet, uh, uh, Tibetan Buddhist, but really from uh, an ancient lineage. Uh, uh, I want to read that book. I want to read stuff by Dan Brown. I'm going to Google him after this. But we're going to switch to part two, which is you having returned, and we talk about your experience. So thanks so much oh, for, for giving us this preamble to your experience. Oh, this was awesome. This was a lot of fun. Thanks, Thanks, James. Kamal. 